Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, before we start this week's episode of Writing Excuses, Howard and I would like to say something. If you aren't aware, Writing Excuses has been honored with a Hugo Award. Yay! Yay! We are, we're thrilled. We are absolutely excited and um, uh, thrilled. And of course, the, the word parser in my brain has now shut down, so I can only yes. come up with two words. The, um, the Hugo Award is the highest honor given to science fiction and fantasy works and related works. We won in the best related work category, which is a really great thing to, um, great honor for us because it is a nonfiction category. It has to do with things that enhance the science fiction and fantasy experience. And that is apparently what the Hugo voters have decided we do. And it's not just an honor for us. It's an honor for the people who have appeared on our cast and dropped their mad knowledge on us and on you. And I think it would be fair for us to give you their names. So uh, here's a list in order of their appearance during season seven of the many guests we had. Sam Sykes, Sarah Pinborough, David Brin, Larry Correa, James Artemis Owen, James Dashner, Michael Collings, Michael Brent Collings, Eric James Stone, Monty Cook, Shanna Germain, Maurice Broadus, Jancy Patterson, James L. Sutter, and Jim Zub. I remember every one of those episodes recording them, except Sam Sykes and Sarah Pinborough, because I think that was just Dan and Mary. <laughs> um, uh, but, the, but the guests that I do remember, which is all of them except those first two, those were, those were so much fun. And, and you guys, you, you guests who might be listening to this, um, I don't know if we've said this before, but you make it so easy for us to record because we can go back over topics where we think we're completely dry and we ask you a question and we suddenly realize it's as if we hadn't even thought about this at all. Yeah, we really should take one of these Hugos and chop it up and give a piece to each of them. I nominate Dan's Hugo. I actually nominate Jordo's Hugo oh, yeah. because it's made out of a pine cone and a banana. That's right, that's right. Well, thank you guys all so much for all of your support and for listening. We'll get on with the episode, but really, this was the greatest honor I think we have ever received as podcasters, and we are just so humbled. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, episode 36. This is Writing Excuses, transitioning characters in prominence. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. And I'm Howard, coming at you live, sort of, in front of an audience here at uh, Wood Thrush Woods Writing Retreat. Make noise, people. <laughs> just so you know, we're recording these over the course of like two days. This is not actually a three-month yes. writing <laughs> We have all been living in Mary's parents' basement for the last time. <laughs> we think the guests have almost found a way out. Yes. <laughs> all right. Okay. So We've this is another one of those um, topics that I have to explain um, because I came up with it. Um, the idea is that 
Occasionally when you're writing fiction, particularly if you're writing a series or something that is one big long series like Howard, you will take main characters and you'll decide the best thing to do is to fade them into the background, that you've told their stories. Um, and other times you'll say, this side character, let's bring them forward and make them awesome and make the story about them. Um, and I was thinking a lot about Howard when I designed this um, this podcast. So I want to talk about this concept, particularly, you know, my first awesome. question is going to be um, for you, Howard. Have you ever had readers and fans get annoyed when you do this? Oh, absolutely. And, Ab absolutely. Yeah. They, um, when I introduce characters, for whatever reason, um, there are always people who don't like that character, uh -huh. don't like the way he or she is drawn, don't like the way, uh, it, it just don't like a thing. Right. Um, any character I put in the comic, I never throw anything away. Right. Any character I put in the comic um, is game to be used for something that would fit what their character would do. Uh, and that that feels to me very natural. Mm -hmm. I've had every so often somebody will email me and Sandra now filters these out. So go ahead and send all you want. I'll never read them. Uh, email me and say, the comic is called Schlock Mercenary. How come we don't see Schlock every week? Mm -hmm. Well, because sometimes he's not the character in the most pain. Sometimes what he's doing isn't really all that interesting. Sometimes putting him on the panel would be kind of boring. Um, I did... Uh, when I did the, the massively parallel storyline, I took a big risk and only had Schlock in the comic for about uh, three and a half months, four mm -hmm. months, over the course of, uh, I think, nine months. Um, and, and there were a lot of complaints because the characters that were on the screen, they're like, oh, I, where's Schlock? Okay. How do you... This is for anyone. How do you take one of these side characters, and what what about them makes you interested in them? How do you decide? Is it more of a plotting thing? Oh, I need a new character here, or is it you get fascinated by this character, so you decide to end up telling stories about them? Dan. Yeah, let me tell you about uh, Marcy from the Serial Killer books. She is one of my favorite characters, next to John, my favorite character in that series. And she started as a background character in the first book, she became slightly more important in the second, in part because I needed a foil for the other teenage girl, Brooke. Um, John wouldn't allow himself to obsess about Brooke, but he was losing control, and so he needed to obsess about somebody, and so I said, well, I've got this girl from the first book, let's use her. And so that, that got me interested in Marcy. It okay. made me think about who she was, because John started to think about who she was. And so in the third book, when I required another love interest, I pulled her up and then started to build her into a full character. And one of the reasons that I like her so much as a character is that she, she in order to bring her to prominence, I had to figure her out. You know, mm -hmm. what is she like? What is she not like? And more specifically, how is she different from Brooke, from the other girl in the story? And that's what really defined her, was me looking for ways to make her unique, and that formed her into a more full character. When I have done this, um, I, the, the biggest character I did this with was Spook in the Mistborn trilogy. Um, and when I've done it, one of the main reasons I did this with him, and that, this is one of the things that wasn't in the outline, 
Um, people have asked me, you know, did you outline the whole trilogy? I did. There are certain things that weren't. Him get, becoming a main viewpoint character in the third book uh, was not part of the outline. And one of the main reasons I did it is I found that I was, I, I had, I kept falling back to making him a very shallow character. He was there for comic relief. He was doing silly things. And I was annoyed with myself and having a character that repeatedly did not have the depth of the other characters around him. And so I found myself saying, well, I've got to find out who this kid, kid is. I've got to be telling his story as well as everyone else's. And in forcing myself to do that, I did all of this sort of building around him and decided, well, he's got an interesting story. Now I really should tell it. Um, and so I gave him a little plot cycle in the third book. And this was basically me being annoyed with myself. And it, it caused me to do this. Now, Mary, you said um, that you have not done this in any published works. Right. But I was thinking about it as, as we were talking and I realized that that is entirely incorrect because I do this every single time I change POVs mm -hmm. within a story. Anytime that you have one POV character and then you change POVs and that character is present in the scene that is visible from someone else's point of view, you are switching which character is prominent. Right. And, um, and that's, for me... I, I actually will sometimes write the same scene from two different POVs just mm -hmm. to see which one has the has the stronger uh, emotional impact. But for me, what I'm looking for when I do that is a way to, to as as Dan was saying, to, a way to flesh out the character. And I have to think not just about who the uh, who the other character is. Like um, you know, if I if I were switching from, um, I'm trying to think of something that people might have read. Um, but if I'm uh, in um, uh, Bound Man, I was switching from Lee Reiko to Haldor. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have to not only think about who Haldor is, but I also have to think about what Lee Reiko looks like from the outside. And that is one of the things that a lot of people, I think, skip. That they don't think about how the character's actions are perceived by other people. Because a lot of times your main character winds up being a jerk. Mm-hmm because they're the ones that are making action happen. And you don't think about, you know, making that jerkiness apparent or making their charm apparent. And so, so I'm looking for ways to do that. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because that's another thing. Oh, excuse me, going back to Marcy, that's one of the other things that made her a great character is because John is constantly so down on himself and everyone right. he, in his life thinks he's terrifying. Marcy had only seen him be heroic and thought he was awesome. Yeah. And that redefined the main character's perception of himself. Mm -hmm. All right, let's do our book of the week. Our book of the week is actually The Rhythmatist, which I forgot to do a book of the week on for several weeks. It's been out for a while now. Um, it is my new book for teens. Um, it is a mashup of two primary ideas, the first being me wanting to tell a story about the muggle at Hogwarts story of a kid with no magic who gets sent to a magic school, not because he's chosen or the chosen one or anything like that, but because he's the son of the cleaning lady and he gets free tuition. Um, and that concept was fascinating to me. The, the kid who gets to go and get a world-class education at some private school, but the real purpose of the private school, to teach the magic, he has no talent in and can't really learn anything, doesn't get to go to those classes. Um, the other mashup is the uh, um, thing that mashes into it is the idea of me wanting to do a chalk-based magic system where people draw cool things on the ground with chalk, and then they do stuff. And I played with these ideas, came up with this interesting sort of gear punk, punk setting for it, and wrote The Rhythmatist, which I hope you will all go check out. You can find it on Audible. 
How? Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial membership and pick up the Rhythmatest by um, Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> now, I think. <laughs> is that who wrote it? They're trying to spell the blah, blah, blah. Is that with two W's or three? It was a B and a P in what happened? Yeah. Maybe an L. What happened is that you turned to me and said how, and I was waiting for the other syllable of my name. <laughs> Very, very quickly, I want to I want to put in my okay. two cents for the arithmetist uh, mm -hmm. because as a magical school book, it is the only one I've ever read that delves so deeply into the science of the magic that you, it really feels like a school. And yeah. learning how the magic works is integral to the plot and is fascinating. I really well, thank you very much, Dan. I'll make sure to say nice things about your books. Oh, too. oh. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about the um the the. And McCaffrey-style plot um, of books, meaning where you write a book about some characters, and then you decide, okay, I'm done with those. Let's build up something else in the world and tell a story about this. I've actually been planning to do this for Elantris for a long time. Me too. Um, have no. you? You're yes, going to write Elantris? Yes, I am. <laughs> you didn't know I was doing fanfic? Oh, man, <laughs> I am so looking forward to this. <laughs> Elantris I have to admit, I'd rather read Mary's Elantris <laughs> yeah. sequel than yours. <laughs> Aeons of milk and honey or something. <laughs> this is going to be so cool. So tell me what you're planning to do with yours. Well, you go first. Okay, I'll go first. Um, the idea for me that I wanted to do this is I told this story as this great standalone novel. And I always leave openings so I can tell more. But I wanted to release Launchers as a standalone. My editor pushed me to do a sequel, and I said no. Um, and he said, though you... You obviously left it open. I said, yes, I left it open, but I like releasing a standalone first so that people can try me out on a standalone novel. And the more I thought about it, the more I really liked how that book stood on its own. The issue comes to having these characters who have had great arcs um, through the story and have come to a natural conclusion and then saying, but everybody wants more and everybody keeps pushing me to do more. This runs me into this problem where I don't want to take those characters and give them another artificial arc. Um, not another artificial, but give them another arc that would be artificial. Um, and in this case, in the, um, it felt really wrong for me to do that, um, particularly how wrapped up the ending was for those characters. And so I said, well, if I'm going to do a sequel, it can't be about the main characters. And that spun me off into, say, into saying, who would I do it about then? And this was actually, I was thinking about these things in part as I was doing the edits for the book to come out. And I started at that point to bring characters to the forefront as kind of like medium-level characters that would draw people's attention in order to seed future characters mm. should I end up wanting to do this in the future. You were auditioning them. Yes, I was. I was. I didn't ever give them any viewpoints, but I, I thought, if these people are interesting, people, readers will ask questions about them, I'll keep thinking about them and things like this. And so I let myself kind of dabble in these side characters and give myself um, some ground to work in should I decide to do that sequel. Cool. I would like to read that when you finally get around to doing it. After I write my Elantris That's book. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so the thing that I was going to do is um, with the, uh, the Jane and Vincent books, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm planning on doing a five-book cycle with mm -hmm. them. So, after so the am I. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to read that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then after that, because I feel like there's only so far you can ratchet up somebody's life mm -hmm. and before the tension just becomes unbelievable. So I decided to, I'm going to set them aside after five books and let, and then do a three book uh, series that is at a school for glamorists run by Jane and Vincent. So they are secondary characters, right. which means that I have, you know, 
schoolgirls learning glamour, solving international intrigue, and being back in time for curfew and going, oh, Mr. Vincent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's gosh. too bad you can't put that on the backs of the book. <laughs> Mary, that you can't Mary. push a button and have your Three words. Three words. Uh-huh. Manga tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> that, that does sound awesome. Oh, my. Mm. Um, and part of the reason is because I feel like, you know, you have these characters and you like them, but the Mm -hmm. problem with being the main character in a novel is that your life sucks. Uh Uh-huh. Everything is going wrong. People are constantly trying to kill you. Yep. Things just are terrible. Well, and there's the plausibility factor, too, right? Exactly. And you also need time to reset them to zero. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, time actually needs to pass. But the other reason to do this is that if you actually, you know, besides liking the characters and wanting Mm -hmm. to continue to explore them... If you have fans that want to see more of this, this is a way to give them more that is different. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Anne McCaffrey books, which you have, yes. if you haven't read them, the, the initial Anne McCaffrey Dragon Riders books all did this. Um, and as a new reader of science fiction fantasy, I didn't know what to expect. But I was really sad when the second book wasn't about those same characters. But they were there. And somehow that actually made the books more awesome because yeah. getting brand new characters each time, but knowing that my f- favorite familiar characters were still there for me to see once in a while and to lean upon made the series really click and connect for me. Um, and since then, I've wanted to do something like this just because I think it is a, a powerful form in the genre that isn't used quite enough. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, it's one of the things that I loved also about uh, Sherry Priest's Clockwork mm-hmm. Century that it was moving around, but we got to see some of the same characters turning up, sometimes just in cameos, sometimes in main secondary roles. Right. Um, John Scalzi's Zoe's Tale mm-hmm. is also a wonderful example yeah. of this. Yes, it is. I think of this as the Star Trek The Next, Star Trek, the Next Generation problem, mm-hmm. where by season seven, I'm looking at the cast there on the bridge and thinking, really? You people had careers and you never... Starfleet's big. You never moved to another ship. You always stayed first officer. And it just, it didn't make sense to me. And the next generation writers felt that same problem, which is why in season six and seven, they did multiple episodes focusing on, you know, the below decks people Mm -hmm. or these other people, background, ends in row, people like that. So let's wrap this up with going back to you, Howard, because you kind of inspired this. Um, Do you envision ever taking the, the, the strip away from the main characters completely? Oh, absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. There's, um, uh, and there, there are several reasons for this. Uh, reason number one, I don't think I can keep drawing forever, but mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to keep writing a lot longer than I can do that. Um, I would love to see what the schlock mercenary universe looks like under the hands of other people. Um, and I'm up for grabs after I finish the five-book sequence for right. Mary's. Uh, <laughs> I can do uh, the drawing. We're gonna yeah. need, I was going to say, we're going to need to teach you to draw. Uh-huh. <laughs> it worked um, for you. Yeah, it did. Brandon used it to did. do a webcomic. Uh, no, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> the link to that will be in the liner Three notes. weeks of a webcomic. <laughs> um, so, short answer, uh, short answer, yes. Um, I, I have an end in mind for the, the mega arc of Schlock mm-hmm. Mercenary, um, after which point uh, I will prune the cast significantly, uh, bring in you know, some new characters, uh, choose carefully which of the old characters I'm bringing mm-hmm. forward. 
don't go thinking that we're going to have a red wedding or anything like that. Um, <laughs> uh, this, is not, this is not George R.R. R. Martin. Uh, sock, it'd be brown. <laughs> yes. Brown wedding? Oh, no, no, I think. Uh, no. All right, this oh, is going to I'm a so weird tempted place. to make that our writing no. prompt. No. no, I think. No, please, no. I think it would be poop green wedding. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's right. All right, yeah. what like, is our writing prompt? Ready. Well, it seems pretty obvious to me that your job is to take a minor character from a story you've already completed, somebody that seems shallow and not filled out, and tell their story and make them as interesting as you can, perhaps even more interesting than the characters in the original story. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.